Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. My brother and I were always the best of friends. We were only a year apart, with him being older, and we spent nearly all of our time together. We grew up in a house pretty far from the rest of town, so we didn't spend much time with the other kids. And the only times that we were separated from each other was during school, but we would always play during recess, and he would always give me a warm pat on the back during when our classes would pass in the hall. This carried on from grade school all the way to high school. Jason would skip his fifth period class to have lunch with me and some friends every so often. And when we got back from school, he would always give me help with my classwork so that we could spend the rest of the night playing video games and watching TV until our mom got home from work. She would make us a small snack and an hour later dad would come back from work and the four of us would sit down at the dinner table. Even during dinner, he was always making us smile. He liked to make people happy, and I guess you could say that just came naturally for him. When we weren't playing inside, we would occasionally go into the forest behind our house. Our father had taught both Jason and I how to handle ourselves out there in the forest, and by the time Jason was in middle school, he was an expert. Two of us would head out exploring and then be back in time for dinner just as the sun was setting. We had even spent the night out there with Dad in a tent big enough for the three of us. Things were really fun. Family life is always perfect no matter how bad our personal lives would get. And the fragile life we held on to broke away one night when Mom didn't come home. Jason and I were playing some games as usual, when he pointed out to me that mom was late. She had been late before, but never this late. She came home around 8, and it was already 8.45. Jason got a little worried and called her work, and they told him that she left at 7.30. Jason was a little uneasy, and I could feel his worry even though he dared not show me it. He waited until Dad returned home before telling him the news. Dad called her work as well and hung up when they gave him the same information. My dad called his brother at the local police station and he managed to wrangle up five squad cars to go down every road in town. That night it rained like a fountain and the roads were slick to drive on which made all of us drive even slower than normal. And that's probably the only reason that they spotted it. Dad's brother called him on his cell and told him to get the Irving Pass. We slowly drove up to the scene, with three cop cars flashing their lights, while others set up police tape. My dad got out of the car and told us to stay inside. 
Jason was never one to listen, and he got me to go outside with him. We watched as the officers parted for my father. He ran down the small ravine, and standing from atop the road, we saw our mother's car smashed directly into the trees below us. Claw marks were torn into the side of the car where paint was stripped clean off. The windshield was smashed, and blood was on the hood of the car. Dad saw us standing there and told us to get back into our car. We did, and we watched him talk to one of the officers. They gave him a raincoat, and after they had set up a perimeter, they called in the rest of the station, and more cop cars came down. All of the men got out with flashlights and guns, and Dad made us get into the car of Officer Velasquez. He drove us home and stayed with us the whole night, answering all of our questions. Apparently, Mom crashed her car into a tree, and they believed a wild bear had dragged her off. Dad and all those men went searching for her in the woods, but they didn't find a thing. He came home defeated, but hopeful, and the three of us went to bed in my father's bed, believing that our mother was still alive. But weeks went by, the police stopped looking, and eventually even my uncle left my dad to search by himself. After two months, my dad stopped looking too. It was the talk of the town for a while. A few people came by to give their condolences, and we had even held an empty coffin funeral for my mother. When she was gone, Jason and I took her role as chef. We made a terrible dinner every night, and we didn't get much better, but our dad appreciated the help. After my brother graduated from school, he went to work with my dad at the factory, and I was stuck at home cooking for the both of them. From then on, the family never spent much time together, and the dinners were always silent. Jason would try to get us to laugh, but his jokes and funny stories would fall on deaf ears. He, as well as I, could feel the missing piece from our lives. During the weekends, Jason would stay home with me, and we would play games like we used to, but in complete silence. Dad was either working extra shifts or drinking at the bar. On one particular night, he was out drinking and we had no clue when he would be returning home. He left us during the middle of the day and Jason wanted to keep things lively. He told me to get my coat my boots on and this always meant we were going for a hike. We packed a few things like food and water and after locking up the house we headed out. We took the same route that we always did. And it had been a while since we walked through the forest, so for me, everything seemed new. We stopped occasionally and sat down on a nearby log or a rock, and we just listened to the sounds of the forest. We took in the sweet smell of the flower fields, not too far from where we were, and the sun blanketed throughout the canopy of trees. I kept behind him and I stared at his feet to follow close behind. He gave me some lessons on what fungus was edible and what plants were safe to eat. 
These were things I already knew, but I guess that he was trying to strike up a conversation with me. Jason and I hadn't talked since Mom went missing, and trying to do it now was just as awkward as it could have been. Jason finally sat me down next to him during one of our stops, and he put his hand on my shoulder. Hey, I know things aren't like they used to be. I know Dad isn't the same and that you and I don't talk and hang out as much as we used to. He stopped and started to tear up. I know that you think I don't love you anymore, but that's not true. I still love you. And I still want to be the older brother you remember, but you have to help me here. I really just don't know what to do. He put his face into his hands, and I watched in silence as he cried. I'd never seen Jason like this before in my life. He never exposed himself to me before, never showed a sign of weakness, and for all these years, I thought of him as some stone warrior. But seeing him cry next to me lowered my own defenses, and I gave him a hug. We just sat there, holding one another as we both cried in silence. The sun was beginning to set, and the whole scene seemed like a novel. And then... We both heard it. A loud scratching noise. It echoed through the forest in one violent sweep, and it sounded like a moose scraping its antlers along a bark of a tree. Jason got up quickly and recovered that tough exterior he always carried. He told me to get my things, and we started heading back to our house. Before we could even take two steps away from where we were sitting, we heard it again. A loud scratching sound, but this time, it came from a few feet in front of us. I got behind Jason as he peeked around a tree. He didn't see any moose or bears stalking, so we continued on our way very cautiously. We passed a few trees and spotted one with three gaping claw marks. They dug at least three inches deep and were in the shape of talons. We both stared at the marks, knowing that no bird of this size existed in this forest. Or the world. Our pace picked up when we saw a shadow pass above us, and when we looked up, we saw nothing. Jason grabbed my arm and pulled me along until I started to walk on my own. We didn't look above us, but we could hear the tree branches breaking and every so often, the shadow would pass again. We were nowhere near the house, and because of how long it had been since we were here, we had forgotten the way back. Every so often, we would pass trees with talon marks on them, and each time we passed one, our pace would pick up. We were sweating from all of the running, and we were getting nowhere. Whenever we stopped to look up, the tree crackling would stop, and silence would take over the forest. We started to run once again, and when we did, we saw the shadow. It was much larger than before, and a strong wind followed it. My brother stopped running and pulled out his pocket knife. He tore a tree branch from the stem and began to sharpen the tip. 
During all this, I pressed my back to a nearby tree and watched above us. There were only a few inches of sun left on the distant horizon, and the few beams that were left poured into the forest broken by the trees. As the last light faded, we could feel a cold wind shuffle through the air as we shivered to its touch. He threw me the branch and kept his knife out in one hand, while his lighter burnt in the other. We were no longer running. We were stalking carefully, trying to make as little noise as possible as we watched above our heads. The winds would sometimes come from behind us, at which point we would turn and see nothing other than the leaves on the ground picking up as if something had flown by. We would feel the wind again on the opposite side that we had turned to, and when we turned back around, there was nothing again. Whatever this thing was, it enjoyed toying with us. By this point, the light was almost completely gone, and only a few rare times we would receive light from the moon, which was covered by clouds. Only when they had completely moved did we get a few precious seconds of light that allowed us to see beyond a few feet. The strong wind stopped, but were replaced by something much worse. The sound of feet crunching throughout the forest. We heard it constantly, circling around us just beyond our sight. And occasionally, Jason would scream out to it, and then the crunching would stop. A few seconds would pass, and then it would start again. When the crunching stopped completely, we were surprised to hear nothing. It was the deathly silence that made us more nervous. Before this, we had known where the creature was in relation to us, but now there were absolutely no hints of its whereabouts. A strong wind came from in front of us and extinguished the small lighter flame in Jason's hand. The wind had also pushed the clouds along just far enough to bring in the light of the moon. What we saw in the darkness was more terrifying than what our minds could have ever created. Perching itself on a tall branch a few trees away from us was what seemed to be a giant cocoon. But this was no cocoon, and what we thought was a shell started to part. It opened, and we came to understand that it was two giant wings spreading apart. Beneath the wings were two glowing yellow eyes that were buried deep into the head of a sickly-looking creature. Its entire body was hairless, and its arms were very thin and bent like that of a T-Rex. Its legs were massive, and had talons at the end of each toe. It gripped onto the upper tree like a monkey. It even had the thumb. But the oddest part about this thing was that its nose and mouth formed together to make a skin-like beak in the center of its face. We watched as its head darted around like it was twitching, its neck contorted and stretched as its entire body shook and shuffled in the trees. When the moonlight vanished, 
We were back in the darkness with only the two glowing eyes staring at us. And when they vanished, we panicked. I could hear my brother scraping the ignition to his lighter. It clicked repeatedly, and I saw a spark, but no flame. When the flame finally came up, it was standing right before Jason with its wings stretched out over him. I plunged the sharpened branch into its fat belly as it let out a cry. Jason grabbed my arm and we pushed through the creature as we heard its cries of pain. We ran now, faster than ever, and in the far distance we could see our house lights. We ran, screaming as loud as we could, trying our best not to trip. The light in Jason's hand barely stayed lit, and we heard the sound of flapping immediately behind us. We were only about a hundred yards from the house when we heard our father yelling. We could see his flashlight, and our hearts filled with hope. When he was finally close enough to make out the features of his face, myself and Jason stopped running. We waited for Dad to come get us, and for this nightmare to be over. Seeing him truly was our salvation. And then I saw a look of terror on my father's face. I soon after heard Jason scream and watched as he was lifted off the ground. Dad fired his gun at the thing, but it did nothing. I felt Jason's blood trickle down the back of my neck, and when I looked up, I collapsed. I saw only the silhouette of Jason and that creature as they both flew further and further from me. It must have been a good five minutes before the screaming stopped. My father clutched a blanket around me and brought me back into the house. After he had locked the doors, he called Uncle Jimmy and got the entire police force down to our house. When they arrived at the scene, they thought he was crazy. He shouted on about the creature that took Jason, and they all stood there, spooked by it all. But none of them believed him until I took them into the forest the next morning and showed them the talon marks upon the trees. They called an animal expert out, and he agreed that there should be nothing of this size in our area. Upon further investigation... They found that all the tree branches above 15 feet had been snapped like twigs. They had even found a few more grip marks on where it had perched. The evidence piled up until the final piece of data was discovered. A few torn pieces of Jason's shirt were found near where he was snatched, and next to it was a single feather. DNA analysis revealed that whatever creature this came from was neither bird nor human. It was a whole new species altogether. The size of the feather indicated that the creature must have been taller than six feet. Jason was never found. My father looked for him every day in the deepest parts of the forest, but he never found a single trace of him. Nobody in our town ever questioned our sanity. Not a single person claimed it to be a hoax. In fact, it's been 20 years since Jason went missing. 
My father died a few years back, and I left that place a long, long time ago. My father died knowing that my mother wasn't dragged from her car by a bear. He died knowing that wet roads weren't what caused her to crash. He died knowing that it was the thing that killed her and took her away. But he never knew what happened to Jason. I've been hearing rumors, though. Rumors that somewhere deep in the mountains near my hometown, a man discovered a cave. The cave was littered with human bones, nearly a hundred of them. The police were called in, but were never able to identify those bones, as they were all nearly shattered into pieces, including the teeth. There's one peculiar thing, though, about that cave. When they went further into it, they found what seemed to be three empty eggs. Then again, these are just rumors. And for everybody's sake, I certainly hope they are not true. <laughs>